great in battle. You can sing it, but do you believe it? Will you believe it on Monday? I hope so. Before Trey comes up, uh, I got to tell you a little bit about my friend Trey. We've been friends since undergrad at Valdosta State University. We both were involved with campus outreach and did ministry together, roommates together, moved to Greenville together, and he's a faithful Bulldog fan. Go dogs. <laughs> so I'm very grateful to have Trey come preach to us today. Uh, I have, in college, we have five friends that all moved to Greenville together. And to this day, we, we don't talk for months, but whenever, whenever we do talk, it's not like we missed a beat. We just pick up where we left off. So he's one of those lifelong friends. And so, brother, I'm glad you're here to join us today. So give Trey Adams a welcome to our pulpit. No, no, bro, you got to preach from the pulpit, man. <laughs> See, we didn't have that last time you were here. Oh, man. So I got an amen sign up there, too, if you want them to say amen. Really? All right. That. Well, in case y'all hadn't noticed, I'm white. So I don't always know when to y'all are supposed to say amen. So uh, maybe, Alex, you can hold the sign and just tell them when to say it. Amen? Oh, that's here it is. Yeah. Amen. Um, so my name is Trey. Uh, uh, Alex and I have been friends for a long time now. Um, long time. Wow. Um, maybe over half our lives. I don't know. You're older than I am, so I'm not sure for you. But um, I am a Bulldog fan. Jesus loves me so much. He lets my idol fall every year. Um, it's good to be a dog fan this year, but... Uh, I guess some of, there's probably some Bama fans in here. Probably better to be a Bama fan, as usual. Um, but it's just good to be his, right? It's good to be his, whoever you like, football. Because uh, that's not our life. That's not who we are. Um, this morning, I want us to talk about, a little bit about who we are in Christ. What God has made us to be. Um, I've been serving in Thailand for about, I don't have to stay behind here, do I? Okay, good. Um, I've been in Thailand for about seven years now, eight years maybe, uh, altogether. Since 2011, I was ordained. Went, well, okay, went to Jackson, was ordained, uh, and then left almost immediately for Thailand. I was a pastor of a small Thai church there. Um, and we moved up to Chiang Mai, uh, which is a northern city uh, of Thailand, and we started a church there. And one of the great blessings of being uh, a pastor of a church like that is that in a place where there is no Bible, where there is no gospel, we get to try to dream up, try to figure out how do we get as much Bible into our people as possible, as quickly as possible. So one of the ways we do that right now is we are going through, you know, we're doing like a whole series of books, but we're also doing like First Peter, Second Peter, all in one Sunday. So we're reading the whole book and we're preaching through the whole book. And that's tough and it's long. But by the way, uh, most of the time when I preach, people are like, you have 26 minutes. Or, How do you come up with that number? Or you have 32 minutes. And, and, but in Thailand, we usually go about an hour. So I'm going to try not to do that. Uh, but if I do, it'll make Alex look really good for next week. Um, but one of the great things that we get to do is like we get to go through an entire book in one sermon. And so we're going through in on November the 4th, pray for me, I'm preaching through First Peter, 
the entire book. And, and as I was thinking through the message of 1 Peter and how it speaks to Christians today, because you've got to think, these are Christians who didn't grow up singing the songs. They didn't grow up hearing the word. They didn't grow up in a place that believed in a personal creator God. What does it mean, whether you're in Huntsville, Alabama, or in Chiang Mai, Thailand, to live as a child of the king? What does it mean to say, I am his? So let me give you a little background. I'm going to read uh, this passage from a, a, a book that uh, he's talking about, First Peter. And it's kind of a little bit, bit of background, but it gives us kind of a context to the book. So it says, First Peter describes a time when, when the Christian persecution was more localized and sporadic. It was written during a time when Christians were being persecuted simply because of their faith. Because they were different from everyone else. They did not worship the Roman gods. They rejected the sexual promiscuity of their day. They had strange worship practices. They even tried to win people over to their God and to their way of life. Because Christians were different. Some government officials were likely to discriminate against them. Because Christians were different, their employers might treat them harshly. Because Christians were different, a non-Christian husband might reject his wife. Because Christians were different, they were not yet losing their lives, but they were losing out. What I believe it means to be a Christian in a non-Christian culture, in a non-Christian world, is that we are different. God calls all of us, every one of you. Now, now I always get a little bit uh, uncomfortable when somebody says, you know, God is calling you to this because usually they're selling you something. But I think in the scriptures, God says, I am calling you to be a priest. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Every one of you in here is called to be royal priest, holy nation. So as we look at 1 Peter, and particularly 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, I want us to think through that. Who are we? Why is it important that we know Jesus? And how does it affect our day-to-day lives? So as, as we think about it, and we, and we think about the context, but also where we are now, Christians, people who follow Christ, had strange worship practices. You know, we don't worship the way some other folks do. Most people worship football. They worship money. They worship whatever. Uh, We come, we gather, we set aside one day a week, and we gather with God's people, and we say, we're going to set this uh, this time aside, and we're going to worship together. I love going to this church, actually. I don't know if you all know. I I was an intern at Redeemer Church in Jackson, intentionally multi-ethnic, black pastor, and uh, this is what it is. I mean, this is what heaven is going to be. Heaven is going to be the nations. We have a God who is a God of the nations, worshiping together. Amen. Amen. I, I didn't have the sign, sorry. We don't worship like the world does. When you worship like this, y'all. You know that? This is not how folks worship in the world. When black and white and Asian and Hispanic, when we all worship together, that is not of this world. That's Jesus breaking down barriers. As Amos was reading in in chapter 2 of Ephesians, I was thinking just a little bit further, he talks about 
I have broken down the barriers between you, the walls of hostility. This is different, y'all. Second of all, one of the themes that we see here and we see throughout the scripture is the theme that we are sojourners. We are exiles. We are not home here. This is not our home. We are waiting a Savior. We're waiting a city. And that city is heaven. And the Savior is Jesus. We are not at home here. And so when, when we, we read Peter, when we think about our lives as Christians, we must start there. Home is not here. America is not forever. Amen. I just need to carry this sign, don't I? And usually what we do as Christians is we have three responses. Uh, we can have three responses, I believe. One is we compromise. So some churches compromise. They, they mirror the cultural values of their world, of their, their, their culture. They, they just do what everyone else is doing. The second one, and this is a sad and kind of a funny one sometimes. I mean, I remember a few years. You all remember Starbucks didn't put Christmas on their cups. And all the Christians got mad. Uh, I was like, what? So, but that's kind of what we do. We, we moan about our culture isn't honoring us enough. And Jesus said, that ain't going to happen. The third response is what I believe Peter and Jesus and Paul and the, the whole Bible pushes us to. And that is we become priests. We become ambassadors. We become people who, who live for the kingdom who love the kingdom, who know that this world is not home. But we live in such a way that we want to draw other people home with us. And as we, as we look at First Peter, as I read this passage, I want, you to, I want you to think about these things. One, missions is not just something we write checks for, but it's something that y'all do. I do it in Thailand. You do it here. There's not a lot of difference except for I eat more rice. <laughs> Missions is something that embodies who you are in Christ. It's, it's not about what you do as much as it is about your identity, who you are. And then third, missions is rooted in the gospel. You, if you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand God's grace to sinners that God sent a Savior, then you're not going to do missions. Missions flows out of a right understanding of grace. When you see a God who saved sinners, who came to you, to me, then you understand why we do missions wherever we are. So I don't know if y'all do this, but if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we do this in our church in Thailand. So that's what we're going to do today, um, if you can. And this is uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God is forever. Y'all may be seated. 
So this morning, I want to talk through three things. I have three points because I'm a preacher. Um, One, this priesthood that I'm talking about today, that we're studying today, is an essential priesthood. It is an essential priesthood. Two, it's an unlikely priesthood. It's unlikely that we're even priests at all. And third, it's an intentional priesthood. So uh, essential, unlikely, and intentional. So first, we're going to start with essential. Uh, But before I do that, I'd like to pray. Uh, that God would show up here and bless us and bless the reading and preaching of the word. You are unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's just who you are. We just sang that. We cling to that. We praise you for that because except that were true, We wouldn't be here. We couldn't be here. This is impossible. There's no hope outside of you. And not only that, but you are a God who accomplishes everything you say you're going to do. You're unchangeable. You're not going to change your mind. You're unshakable. Nothing, nothing can throw you off course. And you're unstoppable. The world, the flesh, the devil can't stop you. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who embodies these things. And we thank you that you are a missionary God. You wanted not just a people who sit in pews, but you wanted a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And we ask that you would drive that home to our hearts this morning. Amen. So first, an essential priesthood. Now, when I say the word essential, what I mean is, it is of the essence, the essence of something essential or something that is necessary. When we talk about things that are essential, we're talking about its essence and we're talking about things that are necessary about that thing. I believe, and I think the scriptures teach this clearly, we are essentially priests. It is essential that we be priests, that unless we're doing that, We're not being who God created us to be. We're not who God wants us to be. Has anyone ever seen the movie uh, Anna and the King? It's about uh, the king of Siam, the king of Thailand, actually. And uh, it's not a musical, so guys, you probably like it too. Um, And uh, there's this great opening scene. And so if you imagine this is the throne room and the king is up here and he's sitting on his throne. And this, this happens in Thailand. We have a king, by the way. Uh, everybody loves him. He's a great guy. Um, but when you come into the presence of the king, you bow. You don't, you don't enter the presence of the king lightly. You bow because he is the king. We got a lot to learn, don't we? Now, in this movie, everybody's bowing down. All the nobles, all the important people are bowing down to the floor. They're not making eye contact with the king. And all of a sudden, you hear this... And the doors just fling open, and this little three-year-old Thai girl just runs, runs, runs up to the front of the room, up to the throne, and jumps and jumps into her daddy's arms. And, and that is a picture of essentially who you are. God uses this language in 1 Peter, and it, all throughout the scriptures, he uses the same language of you, the church, of us who are exiles, who are sojourners. He uses... You are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood. You are my people, my possession. Have you ever thought, have you ever just meditated that you are His? That you don't belong to Uncle Sam. And I know tax day is coming up. Some of you may feel like you belong to Uncle Sam. You don't belong to a political party. You don't belong to a race. You belong to the king. It is essential that we see ourselves as part of this. And not only that we are individually his, that we are of the king, but that we are part of a people. Now, in this passage, in, in, in 1 Peter 2, it talks about you all, Christians, believers, all who are in Christ, are being built into this holy temple so that you may be priest, so that you may be the people of the king. It is essential. It is our essence that we are his. He uses the phrase chosen race. Now, I love this, especially in our present context, especially when I'm at Redeemer, especially when I'm in Thailand and I'm one of three white guys. You know, We're a chosen race. And this isn't based on ethnicity. This isn't based on skin color. This isn't based on geography. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to be this. You don't have to go to Athens, Georgia, the new Jerusalem, to do this. <laughs> what is it based on? It's based on the covenant that God made with his people. When he said, even when you are sinful, even when you wander, even when you're not who you should be, you're mine. You're mine and you will always be mine. I like this. I'm going to take it to Thailand. A royal priesthood. Now, sometimes we don't we get a little uncomfortable with the word priest, but it's it's a great Protestant doctrine that was recovered in the Reformation, and, and it says basically that Alex isn't the only priest here. Lyle and Amos aren't the only priests here. The staff of the church, missionaries, we aren't the only priests. God intended for his people, his body, to be a group of people who are showing the king, showing the mercies of God, proclaiming the excellencies of God to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. We're going to get into how we do that in a little bit. But just know that the Bible, especially this passage, just calls us to this, to be who we are. You're his. You're a precious possession of the king. That is grace. Let's go to an unlikely priesthood, because I believe if you want to be a priest, you can't be a good priest unless you know that it's unlikely that you're a priest anyway. I mean, how crazy it is that someone came to Christ reading Nietzsche. How crazy is it that I, southern, white, grew up in racism, uh, self-righteous, money-worshipping, Georgia football-worshipping, I mean, I tell people I converted from Herschel Walker to Jesus, actually, am a priest in God's plan. How unlikely it is that we are all called to this. And that's where we are today. This is, this is what, this is what um, we see in First Peter. 
he says, and he uses this language, a people living in darkness. Now, just a few months ago, we were all saying this. A people walking or sitting in darkness have seen a great light. And we were, sometimes when we think about that darkness, Amos just read it about people living in darkness uh, and the ways of the world. You were all doing this, is what he said. The Bible gives us covenant reminders, I would call them. Covenant reminders that we are people who are naturally, by birth, by actions, by repetition, we are unfaithful people. We are an unfaithful bride. And the language he's using here comes out of Hosea. Remember Hosea? When God says to Hosea the prophet, go and marry a prostitute named Gomer um, and then have kids, no mercy and not my people. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But remember that you are a people who have been, who were and still are at times surrounded by, covered in, steeped in darkness. Now, it's easy sometimes. I think a lot of us. We think about darkness as something that is outside of the church. We think, of, you know, we see, we watch the news. We think about our politicians. We think about whatever. You know, just, we think of that as darkness, as something outside of us. But there's enough darkness in your seat today. There's enough darkness in these walls to warrant hell that we need, that God had to create hell. God hates sin. God hates the darkness, and he came to dispel it. He came to defeat it. So when we think about being priests, being God's people, we've got to remember this daily. We've got to remember this every day. We should wake up every day and say, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. If it weren't for the Lord, Israel, let us say, if it weren't for the Lord, I need a Savior. No one is righteous. No, not one. And he reminds us that we are naturally just a people that seek out darkness, that love darkness. If we want to embrace being a priest, if we want to see real change in our cells, but also in our neighborhoods, we have to remember the darkness that God called us out of. That it's not just that we are the light now, that we live in light, but we remember on a daily basis what we were called out of. Because that's where mission starts. All throughout the scriptures, when you read, I will proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Go read the Psalms. I mean, read through. There's a plan that you can read through five Psalms a day. Read through the Psalms in a month. Read through the Psalms and you'll see every time they say, proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Proclaim the great works of the Lord. It always starts out of, and he rescued us. He delivered us. He was a strong tower. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message that people who live in darkness, that people who were in darkness, need to cling to on a constant basis. And until we cling to that, we can't be priests. We'll just be religious people who have everything just right. Everything's all together. We're perfect And uh, generally speaking, folks don't come to perfect people for help. So let's move on then 
to an intentional priesthood. And this is where we're going to camp out mostly with those, that little bit of background. Because if we are essentially priests, God has called us to be. Our essence is that we are priests. If you are in him, you are a priest. Now, you may not feel like it. Most of the time, we don't. You may be young. You may not be trained up in it yet. But God is using, and God wants to use our lives to be a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests, to reach out to those who don't know him yet. And when we, if we are essentially priests and we remember that we are unlikely priests, I think God uses that. And how does he use that? Let's talk about intentional priesthood. Now, I think this is something we have to intend to do. Now, uh, we are naturally prone to idolatry. We are naturally prone to sin. But if God calls us to priesthood, if he's made us a priest, how do we live our lives in such a way that makes, like in 1 Peter 3, that makes other people ask the question, why do you have that kind of hope? Why is your life different? Why are you not in agreement with the sexual, ethical, moral values of your culture? I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the context Peter is speaking in. He says people should ask those questions. People should see our lives and think, that, well, that's different. They worshiped together. They take time out of their week to worship together with people who aren't like them. That's different. People should see that and ask questions. How do we do this on a more intentional way? I want to brag for just a minute. My brother is a, a veterinary radiology professor. I think I got that right. In uh, Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, a, a while back, my brother, he wanted to be a missionary with me. And uh, he wanted to kind of follow what I was doing. And then he realized one day, he said, you know, God's calling me to be a really good veterinarian. He's calling me to be a really good neighbor and a really good husband and a really good uh, church member. And so they, they invite every week, twice a week, they invite neighbors, I mean just raw pagan neighbors, like not Christians at all, to come to their house. They have a fire they have some, they grill some meat, and they just hang out, they have food, and they talk. Uh, he invites his students to come, and, uh, you know, students don't have anything, uh, so they'll come to anything where there's free food, you know. And, and they just listen. That's all, they, they just listen. It's not like they're trying to give him advice or trying to, like, beat the gospel, and they just listen to him. And so many of these kids are asking questions about, all right, so who is Jesus then? Can, in fact, one German Catholic student who's gone back to Germany now, she asked Sean, can you be our priest to marry us? And Sean's like, I, I don't think I can. Uh, but, uh, but that's priesthood, guys. Do you know how you reach your neighbors? You listen. You be with them. You sacrifice. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a second. Sacrifice. Now, the Old Testament role of priesthood is what? They go to the altar. They make sacrifices. They also instruct. They teach the people of God about 
the covenants about who Jesus or who God is. What is a New Testament priest? A New Testament priest does the same thing. We make sacrifices. Now, we don't kill chickens or anything like that, but we do bring our best. We bring our time, our talents, and our treasure to pour out for the service of the kingdom. In verse 5 of of chapter 2, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he says in, in Hebrews, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So let's talk about a few of those sacrifices real quick. One, and most obviously, you read Romans 12, our bodies, our lives. Our lives are a holy sacrifice to the king. I mean, think about this. We grow up, if you're not a believer, or even if you are a believer watching TV, we grow up thinking life should be this way. We should use our bodies sexually this way. We should do this with our time. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've called you to something different. I've called you to be a priest, to make sacrifices. And this is where it gets hard. And this is where, as believers, we have to pray and really search ourselves and say, how do we sacrifice? A second way is what we just did. We sing praises. Christians, don't underestimate how big of a sacrifice, how beautiful this sacrifice is. Back in, uh, in Bangkok, in the slums, we would have, I hate to say this in a Presbyterian church, but we had blessing services. And um, these blessing services were just songs. We would pray and we'd sing songs about God's grace. And we'd come out and there'd be these little Thai grannies just kind of huddled up next to the wall listening. And they would want to hear more about these songs. They want to hear more about what we were talking about, what we were singing about. Never underestimate this time on Sunday morning. This is where you offer your praises, your sacrifices of praises to the king. And you never know who walks in the door. And you never know what the, the singing, the praise, the fellowship, the communion of the saints, you never know what that's going to do in the life of a visitor. So do this. Lay this sacrifice out every day. Third, good works. Uh, now, now, a lot of times I think as Presbyterians, we go, I don't know if all of you are Presbyterians. Uh, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm just not mad about it. Um, <laughs> we don't really like to talk about good works because good works can lead to moralism where we think if we work enough, God will love us. What we say is that We love God. God loves us. Therefore, let's work. Let's go to work. Ephesians 2.10. God's made us for this. He's called us to something bigger than ourselves. So when you do good things to your neighbors, when you do good things for your community, you you are being a priest. And the last one, and this is one where I'm going to focus on a little bit because this is something that we do and we say we do, but we don't do it. And it's our sacrifices of prayer. Now, I tell people this all the time, and I really believe it. 
because I'm a missionary. So, you know, it, I depend on you writing checks, right? Money gets us there, but it doesn't do the work. Money never does the work. Prayers, the prayers of God's people works. The prayers of his holy nation, of his chosen priests, that is what does the work. God works through the prayers of his people. We don't believe that so often. So so often we complain, I'm not seeing God answer my prayers. And I want to say, because this is personal experience, so often we don't pray. It's not that we don't see him working. It's that we don't pray. We're not asking for him to do things. We're not asking for him to open the eyes of 70 million Thai people who are lost in darkness. We're not asking him to open the doors of this community to this church. They would see the gospel. One of our biggest sacrifices, one of the things that we can do that will affect the kingdom most is to spend time on our knees. Now think about this. As a priest, you know what you do? You go before God on behalf of the people. That's the role of the priest in the Old Testament. What we do in prayer is we go before the king on behalf of our neighbors, on behalf of the people who live around us. You're a priest. We are priests. We may live in different places. We may do a little bit different things. And God has called Alex to be a priest in a way that maybe you're not if you're a school teacher. But he's called you to be a, t- uh, a priest in a way that Alex can never be. My brother actually is moving to Thailand in August. Um, I got him. Yes. I feel like I just signed a big recruit, you know. And, um, but he actually, I don't know if, I, I, you don't know this. I've never met you, most of you. Um, he trained the head veterinary radiologist in all of Thailand. She came to their university, and then the princess came, and Sean gave her a tour. My brother's name's Sean. He will immediately, stepping in Thailand, have more clout and prestige than I'll have in the rest of my life. And he can't speak a word of Thai. He can, but it's all wrong. He doesn't say it right. (laughs) And his priest... That's what we want. We want a church that is diversified, that is gifted in different areas, that is reaching out to all areas of society, reaching places that, okay, you know what happens when you're introducing a preacher to your friends, and then they're saying stuff, and then you say, oh, he's my pastor, and then after a while, they pull you up. why didn't you tell me he's a preacher? What did I say? You know? There are things that we can't do. There are areas that we can't go as preachers and pastors that you are going every day. It's part of your, you are priests, so be it. And what do priests do besides offer sacrifice? We proclaim his excellencies. Now, this is, in, in, I love First Peter because it gives a picture of evangelism that's not just your evangelism explosion kind of pat answer. It's It's a, he talks about opening your mouth and telling people, listen, this God is unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. This is my king. This is my savior. This is the kind of, that's one style of evangelism that he talks about. Okay, so, but that's hard for most people, right? And do most people love just to go up to people and, and talk about the gospel right away? You know, you might not be able to. But God does call us all to proclaim the excellencies, using words. 
But the second way he talks about it, and I've already mentioned it, is just living a life that reflects how good he is. I mean, because really, you can't make sacrifices. You can't live in a way that opposes the evil in our culture and the evil in our own hearts unless you believe he's actually better, right? You only do what your heart wants to do, really, in the long term. And if our heart is with him, if we know, if we've tasted and seen that he's good. You ever thought about that verse? Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's more visceral, that's more sense, sensory uh, than anything else that we like to talk. Sometimes we talk theology. And what God says is, no, 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 no. Taste and see. Experience who I am and know that you are forgiven. You are mine. You are my child. Only then will we start to proclaim the excellence. Only then will we start to be able to live a life that's, that causes people to say, he has or she has hope that I don't understand. And I want to know about it. So be ready, as Peter says, be ready to answer those questions. And realistically, we talk about what we love. I mean, just this morning, Alex and I met in the uh, kitchen of his house. And we're like, how about them dogs, you know? I mean, we talk about the thing that's on our mind. We talk about the thing we love. When I first had Abigail, I, you know, if you're parents, you understand this. I only wanted to talk about Abigail. Now that we had Ransom, I only want to talk about Abigail and Ransom. When I first met Kiki, I only wanted to talk about Kiki. What we nurture, the loves that we nurture in our hearts are the things that we proclaim. Those are the things we talk about. The things that we fill our hearts and minds with, those are the things we bring. So, because of that, fill your mind. Be here on Sundays. Offer sacrifices of praise. Pray to the king. Pray that he would open the eyes of your neighbors. Pray that he would open the eyes of Buddhist, Thai Buddhist, uh, or, or uh, the nations, actually. Better. Pray that he would open the eyes of the nations, that we would see a worldwide revival, that the spirit would be poured out upon the world. And then live in such a way that you ask yourself, all right, how can I sacrifice? You may not have treasure, but you have time. You may not have treasure, but you have talent. You may not have much talent, but you may have treasure. You may have a talent for making treasure. Come see me afterwards. But use it. Make sacrifices with what God has given you because you are all gifted in ways to reach this community in unique ways that Alex can't do it by himself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave us with a quote from the Presbyterian patron saint, John Calvin. Because, now if you, sorry, that's a joke, probably didn't understand it all, but one thing I love about Calvin you know, Calvin was, uh, of course, a reformer back in the 1500s, 1600s. Uh, and he basically, through his preaching, through his pastoral ministry, started this movement where hundreds and hundreds of churches were planted. He sent out people to mission. He sent out people to give their lives. And, and 
such a, there's never been a more fruitful church planting uh, ministry out of one man. So when you think about Calvin, think about him like that. And this is the kind of spirit that I think we need to go with as Christians, that we need to remember. He says, and this is what I believe Calvin's church planting spirit, I think this is where it comes from. He says, if what Christ says is true, where our treasure is, there resides our heart. Is that true of us, guys? Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. He's just quoting Jesus. Believers ought to see to it that after they have learned that this life will soon vanish like a dream. This life's short, guys. That's what he's saying. They transfer their, uh, the things that they want to truly enjoy to a place where they will have life unceasing. We ought then to imitate what people do who determine to migrate to another place where they have chosen a lasting abode. They send before them all their resources and do not grieve over lacking them for a time. For they deem themselves the happier, the more goods they have, where they will be for a long time. But if we believe, Christians, if we believe heaven is our country, it's better to make sacrifices, to send everything there, to live there in our hearts, to live for that kingdom, than to keep all of our treasure here whereupon our sudden migration, they would be lost to us. What, he's, what Calvin is saying, he's saying, red and yellow, black and white, those who are in Jesus, our treasure is not here. Let's live a life that shows that, that demonstrates that. And let's not be afraid to give of our time, our talent, and our treasures to see this kingdom established. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love for your mercy, for your mission, that we, every single one of us here who are in Christ, we are people of the King. We are a chosen race. We are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. That is such an unlikely reality when we think of who we are, when we think of how deeply mired in sin we really are. God, let us grasp that you are a God who saves sinners. Let us grasp that we were the worst sinners. Let us live lives that show that we know grace is the only reason you love us. And let us pour out that grace. Let us live lives that show that grace, that demonstrate that grace, and that offer that grace to our friends and our neighbors. We thank you for this gathering of, of, of your saints. And we ask that you would use this word and use this time to draw us closer to you. In Christ's name, amen.